Good morning, everyone, and welcome here. Just a side note, we have lots of room at the 9 a.m. service, so some of you, I would encourage you to prayerfully consider moving over just so we got more room at 11. This tends to be the ones where guests come, and if you're guests, you're welcome here. We've been on this soul revolution journey through Mark's gospel. Mark is the first century eyewitness of Jesus Christ, and he's writing for us this picture of, of Jesus, and we find ourselves this week on this theme of when bad things happen to good people. And some of you know what this means. You have your own experience of a bad thing that happened to you when you felt like you were in the right, you were doing the good thing. Bad things do happen to good people. Uh, Sometimes the healthiest living people get sick. The best drivers who follow the rules of the road, drive the speed limit, wear their seatbelt, don't text and drive, still get in accidents. There are hospitals full of sick kids in our provinces, because sometimes bad things do happen to good people. And you have your own story of that, but the text today, which I was tempted to skip because it's just a kind of a gruesome story, but it illustrates this theme, but it's not just those generic, you know, a tsunami, an earthquake, a volcano. It's not one of those sort of natural calamities of life or the difficulties of of living in this world. It's when you're doing the right thing and something bad comes as a result of you doing the right thing. That's the kind of bad things I'm talking about today. And this text in Mark's gospel from the first century shows us this in real time. A man who's faithfully served God who experiences a very bad result for his faithful service for God, when bad things happen to good people. So it starts in Mark chapter 6. We've been tracking with Jesus throughout the Gospel of Mark, if you're new here. Uh, Jesus is is healing people. He's cleansing lepers. He's raised a girl from the dead. He's calmed the waters. He's cast out all sorts of unclean spirits. He's showing dynamic kingdom power. And in the midst of that, he comes to his hometown the beginning of Mark chapter 6, and they don't receive him. They're like, who is this guy? What's going on with him? You know, and, and, and after that story, he sends out the 12. And the 12 go out, and he empowers them to do what he was doing. And it says at the end of, of verse 12 and verse 13, it says, they went out and preached that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So there they are. The, the, the mission is multiplying. And we come to verse 14. It says, King Herod heard this. What did he hear? That, that there's this guy out there named Jesus, and he sent his disciples, and wherever they go, things are happening. And Herod's trying to make sense of this. Well, that's weird. It says, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and because of this, miraculous powers are at work in him. Now, you're like, John the Baptist. Well, we were introduced to John the Baptist, Mark chapter 1. He is the cousin of Jesus, the forerunner. He came preaching the message of repentance. He was baptizing people in the river. John, if you don't know the Bible, is an enigmatic character. Let me show you a picture of John. This is the 70s version of John, Afro John, right? You know, and he lived out in the wilderness. He's kind of those back-to-the-bush kind of guys, you know, and, and maybe you're more familiar with the church history John, which is the, the, uh, the next picture, is the creepy anemic John, <laughs> 
the guy who needs to eat more protein, you know, and he, he's doing weird things with his fingers. This is, you know, the, the church history John. But then, of course, then there's John, the trout fishing John in the river there. Um, but you understand, he, he's not a normal character in the Bible. A miraculous birth uh, kind of comes out screaming, and he's there. His one role is to prayer the way for Jesus. He's out there, and he's calling everyone out without discrimination. The religious people, the non-religious people, the secular people, everyone is equally called to the plate by John the Baptist. So as we read this story, you got to understand that in your back of your mind, think of this guy. He is owned by no one except God. He's not accountable to anyone except God. He doesn't owe any political favors to anyone except he's just there to serve God. And so he is this fearless prophet of truth. And Herod hears about Jesus, and he's like, well, I don't know how to really quantify this. It must be John the Baptist. And in verse 15, it continues, uh, the, the report's coming back to Herod. It says, others said he's Elijah. Others say he's a prophet, like one of the prophets from the past. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. It's got to be John. I mean, the, the intel that he's getting is inconclusive. Could be Elijah. Could be another prophet. Could be John. And Herod's like, it must be John. Because Herod's only way of seeing this picture is thinking, well, the only guy I know who just is this courageous, this charismatic, this powerful, this dynamic, it must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. He has no way to really filter or discern what is happening around him. It's hard for people that aren't in faith or in relationship with God to understand spiritual realities. You don't see it. What you see is something different. If you don't know God, you don't have a relationship with, with God through Jesus Christ, you, you could read the Bible and it's just a bunch of gook, you know, and you see spiritual things and you, and you have no way to define it. It's like one of these pictures. Here, let's look at this picture right here. See, what is that? It's one of those 3D images, right? If you look at it long enough, apparently a picture just bounces out of you. It never works for me. When I look at this, I think, I, I, I've seen that before. After a bad Chinese buffet <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a porcelain circle. I saw that picture. Yeah, yeah, I, I've experienced that. Yeah, I know exactly what that is. I mean, it's something. I don't know what it is, but it's there. But, but see, I mean, somebody look at it. Like, what is that? Okay, let's look at the next picture here. You know, what's that? Oh, it's a Ukrainian tapestry, right? You know, it's, you know, some baba has this over on her table, you know, and it has all sorts of shapes and colors. And, you know, what is that? It's something. If you look at it long enough, apparently it'll bounce out at you. It never does for me. And it's the same in the spiritual realm. You can look at things, and if you don't know God and you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, spiritual realities just look like barf in a bowl or a Ukrainian tapestry gone wild, right? Like, what is that? Fish? Tree? You know, uh, the... Magna Carta, like, what is it? I don't know. Like, it, it, but, but, you know, Herod's looking at the situation. He's hearing these reports. He's like, I have no way to evaluate or define what's happening. It must be John the Baptist, whom I beheaded, and he's been raised. Now, the readers of Mark's gospel in the first century have been like, what, what do you mean? What do you mean? What happened to John the Baptist? Like, he's a faithful servant of God. Why is he beheaded? And Mark gives us the whole story. 
And it is a depressing, tragic story of a bad thing happening to a good person. The guy that's doing the righteous thing receives the reward of the wicked. You think, that's certainly not fair. And Mark records it in this gospel of Jesus Christ for a reason. We'll get there. But it goes on. Uh, verses 17, this describes the story of what happened. It says, Herod had himself sent men, arrested John, and bound him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had repeatedly told Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not because Herod stood in awe of John and protected him since he knew that John was a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard him, he was thoroughly baffled, and yet he liked to listen to John. So here's the story, right? The Herod, now this is not Herod of Matthew, of Jesus' birth, okay? That, that Herod is his father. That, that Herod had 10 wives, all these children. It is a bad soap opera of the first century, the Herodian story. And we find ourselves kind of coming across this, this you know, the wreckage of, of Herod's life and in his children and in the intrigue of it. The one son is coming back. He comes to his cousin's house. His cousin's wife is cute. There's sort of that moment, you know, that, poof, you know, that spark, that lustful, you know, boom, action that both feel it. Like, man, we, we, we need to be together. I mean, we both feel it. Like, this is right. This is right. If it feels good, it must mean that it's right, right? That this is this is what's happening in the first century. Can you believe this? I mean, this is something you'd, you'd expect to see in a, in a modern television show or Netflix series, right? Someone has a serendipitous encounter with, you know, with a person of the opposite gender and they're attracted and they get together and have sex and do it. Because it feels good and it feels right, therefore it must be right, so let's do it. So this is what's happening in the first century. This weird encounter... And suddenly they're divorcing their, their own spouses to marry each other. And along comes John the Baptist and says, whoa, wait a second. That's not right. If you know the history of the Herods, like no one calls a Herod out. Because if you do so, you're, you're going to end up dead. Like that's just the history of the Herods. Uh, the father, Herod the Great, I mean, he killed his own wives because he was threatened by them. I mean, it's a horrific, awful story. And John walks right into the middle of it and says, that's not right. Now, of course, Herodias, this is the girl, is a little ticked. I mean, she's essentially being called the adulteress, you know, the one who led the king astray, the tetrarch of the, the region, and she is mad. You know that quote, hell knows no fury like a woman scorned. Right here it is. She's mad. She's steaming. Smoke's coming out of her ears. But Herod likes John. John is the one guy in his court that tells the truth all the time. No one else can he really trust because they're all sort of watching their own back and watching his back and there's all this drama going on, but not John. Uh -uh. It's straight up, it's straight up to you. I'm giving it to you to flat on. Now, notice also, just on a side note, John doesn't go and call, you know, the guys in Jerusalem and the people down in Bethlehem and telling everyone else what Herod's doing. He goes right to Herod and says, that's not right. He brings the truth God's light into the darkest place. And 
Herod puts him in jail but protects him from his wife. And he keeps bringing him in. He likes to listen to him, but he doesn't understand anything he's saying, right? Because he's looking at the picture and he's seeing barf or Ukrainian tapestry, right? He, it makes, but, it, but it's something intriguing about it. He's drawn to it, but, it, but, but it's not transforming his life. Why? Because he's not receiving the truth. You, can, you walk in your own way and you kind of look at truth on a parallel highway, but you don't merge into it. It will never make sense, but it will be intriguing. You'll be like, I wonder where, where that goes. And meanwhile, Herodias is just burning. The steam is just moving through her veins. She is angry. But the thing about John is that his character stands true. See, even if the world despises your convictions, they can't argue with your character. This is the reality we're in today, folks. Understand this. If you believe in Jesus Christ and you believe in God, and you, and you believe that this is God's word and that, that it provides a standard and a guideline and a, ble- a pathway to blessing. I mean, you're going to encounter a lot of people that don't like your convictions. In fact, are offended by your convictions, are affronted by your convictions. Um, and you may find yourself joining the company of bad things happening to good people because you dare stick with this book and with the God of this book, and what he says is true and right and good. Peter, who was one of the disciples, gave Mark a lot of the information that he puts together in this gospel. And Peter would write his own letters to churches in Asia Minor that were going through persecution. And, and in those books, he, uh, in, in, those, in, those, in that letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, he, uh, he says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to keep away from fleshly desires that do battle against the soul. Maintain good conduct among the non-Christians so that though they may malign you, now malign you as wrongdoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God when he appears. Maintain good conduct. You know how your, your mom and dad used to tell you, don't lower yourself to the level of the bully or the person that calls names or swears or does all those other bad things. Like, don't, don't lower yourself. And Peter's like, no, don't lower yourself to the level of the people around you. Maintain good conduct among the non-Christians so that even though they malign you, they, they'll see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. I mean, there's something about a, a habitual life of godly character that speaks even, even years later. I mean, when you're the only person on the team that's not getting blasted after the game, your teammates will say, well, are they really part of the team? When you're the kid that doesn't cheat when everyone, when everyone else is cheating when the teacher's out of the room, like, you're not going to be the favorite. When you're the guy or the girl that stays right till 5 while everyone else is driving out of the parking lot at 4.45 at work, they're not going to like your character at that point. But maintain good conduct. He says in chapter 3, verse 15, he says, but set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. And always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the hope you possess. Yet do it with courtesy and respect, keeping a good conscience, so that those who slander your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame when they accuse you. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if God wills it, than for doing evil. That those who slander your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame when they accuse you. Sometimes you can suffer for doing the right thing. 
It's not pleasant. It's not nice. But it's the right thing. So understand, let me just pause for a moment from the text. Do not be surprised when secular governments don't understand what churches are talking about when they say we need to meet and we want to worship and we want to get together and we want to be, share communion together. They, they won't understand it. They're looking at, you know, barf and Ukrainian tapestry. They, they don't see it. What they see is just shapes and, and it makes no sense to them. Understand that. But in the midst of that, we may suffer for doing good when you follow the way of Jesus Christ. We have to just understand that people that don't, aren't born again, don't understand the, the reality of what we're talking about here. And John the Baptist is presenting the truth to Herod, and no one wants to hear it, but, but Herod wants to hear it, but he doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't want to live it, but yet he's attracted to it, and there's this tension, but in the, in the background is this scheming woman who just wants to destroy his life, and she'll get her chance. It's coming. But Peter says, just keep your head up and keep Christ in your focused. Focus as you move through life. People will not always appreciate your stand, but they can't argue away your character. Ground your life in Jesus Christ. And so we find ourselves now in the story, verse 21. But a suitable day came when Herod gave a banquet on his birthday for his court officials, military commanders, and leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, ask for me, whatever you want, I will give it to you. He swore to her, whatever you ask, I will give it to you up to half of my kingdom. Just pause there. This party's going on. The who's who of Galilee are there. They're all watching and celebrating. And in comes the daughter of Herodias intentionally so, as we'll find out, because mama's waiting outside in the hallway. And she's dancing. Now, this is not a uh, Ukrainian dance or a Scottish dance or a waltz. This is probably something a little more provocative, a little more burlesque. That seems to be embedded within the text. That It was seductive and suggestive and pleasing to Herod and all the guys watching. It's a little sick, actually. And in that intoxicated, pleasurable state, he makes this rash promise. Whatever you want. Now, he couldn't give her half his kingdom, but that's a, an idiom which describes just lavish generosity. Whatever you want, man. This is so awesome. I'm, I'm going to give you whatever you like. And she goes outside, it says, in verse 24, she went out and said to her mother, what should I ask for? <laughs> and her mother said, the head of John the Baptist. So who's behind the dance? It's the mom. It's the woman with steam coming out of her ears because her opportunity has come. Psst, yes, this is it. We get him now. And so immediately, verse 25, she turned back to the king and made her request. I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter immediately. And now Herod's in trouble. He's made this promise in front of all of his guests. In that Eastern context, I mean, it's a shame and honor culture. When you say something, you got to follow through with it. Otherwise, you're just, you're nobody and you're, you're greatly shamed. You, you would lose your face as the expression is called. So it's like, do I lose my face or do I lose the head of John the Baptist? And in doing so, do I lose my own soul? But he's got a choice to make and he makes his choice. Although it grieved the king deeply, he did not want to 
reject her request because of his oath and his guests. So the king sent an executioner at once to bring John's head. And he went and beheaded John in prison. He brought his head on a platter, gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. And when John's disciples heard, John's disciples heard this, they came and took his body and placed it in a tomb. Bad thing happening to a good person. Here's the picture. Nice, eh? What a way to end your life. Thanks, John, for serving Jesus and God's kingdom. Way to go, good and faithful servant. You are humiliated by a godless man in a godless court after a godless dance. That's the reward for following God, is it? Bad things happen to good people. And boy, we struggle with it because it's not right. The man or woman who serves God faithfully doesn't deserve that ending. But there's more to the story. Mark embeds the story in here to understand that, that what's coming in the gospel will, will, will be this kind of a story of bad things happening to good people. But, but what do you do when that happens? I mean, this is a question. In 1981, Harold Kushner wrote this book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, a Jewish rabbi. And the Jews at the time, even to this day, they think of their life in terms of the Holocaust, which was a horrific, evil event of unparalleled evil and catastrophe. It was, it, there's nothing in this world or history that compares to it in, in, our, in our recent days. Nothing, nothing, nothing in Canada, nothing across the world that compares to the Holocaust. And, and he's like, what happened? Where was God? And so Kushner said, you know, God exists, but he's not powerful enough to do anything. So you have to just find your own way. You got to just creep your own way through the hard times in life. And hopefully you can create, carve out your own meaning. In 2019, a writer in Psychology Today quoted Kushner. And in her article, she basically said, no, Kushner was wrong. She basically said, there is no cosmic purpose or design in life. Life is just cause and effect, science. We're all just biological creatures that live on this earth. What happens is what happens. There is nothing bigger going on out there. So make your own meaning in life. And while for her that seemed to provide some sense of relief, for those of us that are sitting here, we're like, no, that's not good enough. I don't want to write my own story. I don't want to limit my life and my future to my own small imagination. I want there to be an almighty God, all-powerful, all-loving, all-merciful, all-gracious, who, who writes a grand narrative and puts my tiny little speck of life into his story and, and I get to see the results of his grand plan and I'm a part of it. Or I could just say, well, life is life. We're all going to live and die. And if we truly believe that, why would we care about COVID then? Just let it happen, whatever. And it's life, right? If it is, what did you make of it, right? So you see the conflict? You see the conflict? People have a conflict of values right now. If we really believed in evolution, we'd just let COVID have its course and just knock out half the world if that's what's going to happen. Because that's the, that's the logical conclusion of evolutionary belief. People live, people die, things live, things die. You die, you evolve into something better, hopefully, blah, 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 blah. But then we come to the Bible, and that's not the story. The story is, no, there is a God who made us, who has a plan. That even though sin was in the world, he brought in redemption. And Christ would bring salvation 
and hope for the future to all who would believe. And, and we find ourselves embedded into God's eternal plan. Because this is not the worst story in the book of Mark. No, the worst story is at the end of the gospel. When the best guy, the goodest guy, the nicest guy, the perfect guy, Jesus, is arrested, beaten, goes through mock trials, clothes torn off him, body ripped to shreds, humiliated on a cross, nailed, speared in the side, thorn, crown of thorns laid on his head. I mean, the worst story of a bad thing happening to a good person occurs right at the end of Gospel of Mark, the death of Jesus Christ. John's preparing us for this. This story of John is just a small prequel to the big story. I mean, the Son of God dies at the end of this book. It's a horrible ending, but it's not the ending, is it? Because we sang about that today, didn't we? They thought it was the end. But with God, that's not where it ends. The end is resurrection. The end is new life. The end is eternity with him. The end is a place where there is no sickness, no suffering, no glasses, no hearing aids, no walkers or wheelchairs, no cancer, no heart attacks, no strokes. No. That's the end. The end is God's glorious kingdom where we gather together and, and sing and celebrate and enjoy his, his presence and each other forever and ever and ever. That's the end of the story. So bad things do happen to good people. But God's kingdom advances regardless can't stop it. You can't stop it. While John's head is rolling on the platter, the disciples are out there casting out demons, preaching repentance. People are getting healed at the same time. God keeps moving on. And Mark invites us to align ourselves with God's pathway, with God's kingdom, with God's story to follow him in obedience and in surrender. And to accept the consequences of following the truth, even when they're not easy, when they're not popular, when they make you not popular, when they put you on the outs with people. I mean, that's the right thing to do because it's God's way. Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. At the end of the Beatitudes, see all these blessings, blessing, blessing, blessing. They're surprising blessings. And we'll do a series on it someday. But, but here's the end of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. I mean, you're blessed when you're persecuted. It says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely on account of me. He says in verse 12, rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven for they persecuted the prophets before you in the same way. It's like you follow me, guess where you end up? You could end up in the company of John the Baptist and others like him. Men and women who faithfully followed Jesus regardless of the cost involved. John Huss was a man in modern-day Czech Republic, Bohemia at the time, a priest who encountered the Word of God and, and discovered that, wow, there are truths here that, that are life-transforming. He began to preach those truths, and they didn't like it. And 
Huss got dragged before this tribunal. He thought it would be a chance to, to refute and have a debate. No, no, it was just a, a monkey trial, and he was, he was sent to the stake and burned there. He said, it is better to die well than to live badly. He believed in the truth so much so he was willing to burn for it. His ashes were the beginning of Martin Luther's Reformation. And even the faith that we share today as Protestants, we can trace back to John Huss, the man who believed the truth so much so he's willing to die for it. In January to the end of April, 1,470 people in Nigeria have been killed for their faith. In Nigeria. Uh, in May 18th, uh, Burkina Faso Rebels, terrorists came into a church and killed 15 people as they worshipped. Bad things happen to good people. The bad things we've experienced don't compare to our brothers and sisters in Nigeria or Burkina Faso or China. But we still face them. But God's kingdom advances regardless. Let's suffer for doing the right thing for standing for the truth, for following Jesus, for holding on to the truth. But in the midst of that, let's keep our character aligned with that of Jesus Christ. Bad things do happen to good people, but God will carry us through that. The team's going to come up and, and close. I just want to encourage you from Mark's gospel today. It, it seems like a tragedy but the tragedy is people that encounter Jesus and reject him. That's the greatest tragedy. And John stood up for the truth. Jesus stood up for the truth. He died on the cross. He rose again. So you and I can experience new life. And that's what he invites us to, to, to this journey of faith, trusting him the whole way through. I hope that's your story, that you will follow God with me We'll take the consequences, no matter whatever they may be, because it's the right thing to do. Bad things do happen to good people, but God looks after us forever when we're with Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me as we close? And um, If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I invite you today to receive him. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose again so you could have new life. Lord, you know everyone here. You know the struggles in our hearts. You know the, the challenges we face. And there may, there may be some here, Lord, who have suffered for doing good. And may you encourage their hearts today with Jesus Christ, their Lord, the one who suffered for them. Remind us, O oh Lord, that nothing we experience is even remotely close to what Christ experienced for us. We come here today cleansed, forgiven, renewed, sanctified because Christ died and suffered for us. And so we praise Christ today. And we ask that he might be magnified in our lives as we face challenging situations. We especially pray for our brothers and sisters here in Canada that are, that are facing persecution, but across the world that are facing really real persecution, hard persecution, in Africa, in Asia, in the Middle East, Lord. You, you know what's, where, where people are just hurting imprisoned and even being killed because of their faith. Lord, encourage these believers today. Remind us that we are part of a big family, the family of God and through Jesus Christ. And so 
we focus our hearts now on Jesus Christ. To Him be all glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you pray with me? We thank you, Lord, that we could gather in this way today. We praise you for this privilege and this honor. And we give Christ the glory. We offer our lives afresh this morning. Use us, Lord, in each place that we live, every place that we work, the schools we attend, the parks we play in and walk in, Lord, the neighborhoods that our homes are in, every place, oh Lord, be magnified, glorified, and seen in and through our lives this week. And as we move forward and move up and out in new life in Jesus Christ, we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, God bless you. Have a great day.